I'm Angela Lucier, a professional public speaker, seven-time author, two-time TEDx speaker, and CEO and founder of the Speaker Sisterhood, a network of public speaking clubs for women. And I'm Dr. Jolie Hamilton, a research psychologist, best-selling author, TEDx speaker, and ASEC certified sex educator. Together, we're the hosts of Claim the Stage, a podcast about speaking and sisterhood. If you've been a fan, you know I've been doing this show solo, and it's been all about public speaking for years. Well, that all changes now. Well, you're still talking about speaking on stage, but now we're also going to focus on the three things that you need to make an impact, your voice, confidence, and sisterhood. This show is a training ground to go from dreaming to creating. Right. And we'll still be doing interviews with expert guests. Plus, you'll also get more personal stories and insights from us as well. I'm really excited to see where this goes. Me too. And slightly freaked out. Yeah, me too. Welcome to the next chapter of Clay on the Stage. Hi, Jolie. Hi, Anne. How are you? I'm doing well. We have an episode today that... While seem while may it may seem that it's very focused, it's actually quite broad. It Would is you agree? universal <laughs> themes of life. Universal. It's themes. a sweeping assessment of our 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 personhood. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. When we had discussed having Erin on the show to talk about her book, I thought, oh, this is a great topic because anybody could be going through a breakup at any time, and I know the the events of the last year have brought people closer have also made people realize this is not what i want and has you know have has created divorces and breakups and so wanted to have her on the show to learn more about how to manage that time but in reading her book realized oh wow this is applicable to everybody because we're constantly dealing with endings and we're constantly having to figure out how to reinvent ourselves, how to transition. And there are so many helpful tips throughout that stood out to me that I thought I could use this at any time in life. And we talk about a lot of that in the interview. So I won't, I won't um, spill all the beans right now, but wanted to just kind of set the stage, not claim the stage, but set the stage for the (laughs) <laughs> and also before we jump into that i want to say we have new podcast art we do you're finally in the in the artwork i'm in the artwork i am a graphic sensation with you you are <laughs> that was such a fun photo shoot and when when we were doing it i think we laughed the whole time one for one reason because you know i'm like still trying to figure out how to just like be close to people <laughs> Physical. A little. We did. Well, you you touched my pinky, just like just like just the just the edge of it. <laughs> yeah, and throughout the whole photo shoot, Sandra, the photographer, kept being like, "Get closer, get closer. Put your arm around Angela. Can you guys?" And I was just like, "And I'm like, this is non-consensual touching. I'm not allowed to do this." this it was very stressful on both ends. I think, like, I don't know. That's 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 hard. It turns out you can touch me, and it's fine. So that's what we discovered during the photo shoot. <laughs> but that's not a good thing to tell Jolie. It's not. That's, I don't know. You might want to, we'll want to have a more nuanced conversation about that. (laughs) I'm a very touchy person though. And I didn't even know that about myself. Um, Like I spent all of my twenties having a baby every two and a half years and being married to somebody who I didn't like. So I thought I didn't like touching, you know, I was just touched out all the time and then, and yeah, I didn't know, but then, you know, life changed and my whole self-concept reinvented. I'm like, oh, I'm a super touchy person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who knew? Yeah. yeah. So in our new podcast art, if you clicked on our icon to listen to this episode, you can see we are touching in the artwork. We are yes. back to back. Back to back. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like that was a moment, like just waiting to happen. Yeah. So <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Thank you for being part of that. Thank you for being part of this as we evolve. And, um, I guess I wanted to ask you your experience with breakups. If there's anything that comes to mind after reading that book that maybe you could have done differently or anything you learned from a breakup that you'd like to share before we, inter- we talk with Aaron. Yeah. I, you know, I didn't actually go into reading Aaron's book thinking, Oh, how does this apply to my life directly? I was thinking of it almost from a clinical perspective or, you know, and then while we were talking to her, it occurred to me that I wish I had had a process or somewhere I could turn to 
when I went through the biggest breakup of my life, I mean, I was married before I married again, but obviously there's a divorce in there. And that divorce was messy in a lot of ways. It got really, really, really bad at the end. And the really bad part of a breakup, I think it, it's different for everybody. And I didn't know that. I had no frame of reference. He was my high school sweetheart. I didn't understand. So the big thing that Aaron said, and we'll talk about it in the episode, but this matters so much to me. I had to completely reinvent my self-concept. I had to understand myself as a person who could be divorced, who could be single. And I, there was no place in my psychic schema, like there was no place to hang that. And I remember sitting on the bed at my aunt's house where I was staying for a brief period of time with my, I was all curled up and I was listening to um, Annie DeFranco, 32 Flavors, <laughs> of, course. of course, perfect breakup song. Mm -hmm. And it just dawned on me like an egg cracking over my head that I was going to be a divorced person. And it, that moment, had I had the idea that in fact, this is a universal experience of grief and loss, rather than this is happening and I can't believe, and this is entirely unique. It is entirely unique, but it's also the experience of loss, the experience of change. The, the only way to become the new version of me was to go through that dynamic, messy experience. And I wish that I could go back and sit on the bed next to that girl and be like, dude, this really is all for the best. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One of her, the last thing she says in the book that stood out to me was a broken heart can come back stronger. And I think it's part of that, like um, coming to terms with your new identity and recognizing what it means and how you earned that identity. And, and I, I see people all the time who want, they want to get to that new identity place, but instead they accidentally, they don't break through the breakup. They don't do that. And instead they recapitulate that exact same relationship with a new face. Like they, it's just like they, they cut and paste, okay, new person, but they do the same thing. And I think that's because that last piece of having to integrate everything that you just learned, everything you went through, and then decide how you want to move forward requires you to, to update your self-identity, your sense of self. That is not a small thing. It's a big thing. Yeah. And if we fully grasp the, the power of that move, yeah, I think we have, we have an immense tool to apply to any time that we're faced with an outcome we didn't want mm -hmm. necessarily. And even if you were the person who initiated the breakup, this still might not be the outcome you wanted. Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I would say that's true for every relationship I ended. I, it's not like that's what I wanted it to, wanted to happen, you know? I have had some gentle transitions too, like intentional ones. And those are different. When I had, like when I went into the relationship with a different set of goals and expectations, but that was, I had to, first I had to learn the, the, the basic, the, like the, the universal of, this will no longer be part of your life. You will be changed. Later, I learned how to transition more gracefully. Mm -hmm. I think another sign of handling a breakup as a, um, an opportunity for self-discovery is how you handle your next relationship and mm -hmm. how you show up. And are you getting into the same patterns again? Or are you recognizing, are you able to see those old patterns? And are you actively trying to do something different? And if it's uncomfortable, then you're probably breaking those patterns, right? <laughs> yeah, unless unless sometimes people have um, deeply entrenched patterns of relating that they they actually we like the familiar, mm -hmm. right? We 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 like the familiar, and so if the I would say that the sign is does this feel very familiar mm -hmm. rather than is it just feeling uncomfortable or I'm just doing because if it's very very familiar you may just be doing the same thing and you might see it in your partner. You might be like, wow, I found the same person again. But maybe a better question is, are you exactly the same person? Yeah. Because if you are, then, well, yeah, I mean, you're going to have a very similar relational experience. Mm -hmm. But if you allow yourself to change, yeah, the sky's the limit. You're, yeah. I, I, I just spoke about, I just made a reel about this. I, I said that your relationship 
can only be as good as your imagination of relationships are. Like you, you can't have a better relationship than you can imagine. That's so a unicorn. Like, I mean, that's just, I, there's, I just imagine a unicorn flying over a rainbow, dreaming of the best relationship. And I'm like, that's what I want to be doing. Yeah. Okay. Let's all go for it. Let's all have like sparkles flying out of our ass, <laughs> rainbows, the whole nine yards. <laughs> and that's where the best relationships come from. Yeah. Yeah. Like totally throw caution to the wind when you're imagining. You might not yeah. want to throw caution to the wind when you're actually acting, but like, let yourself imagine what you haven't done before, how you haven't shown up. Yeah. Well, I'm imagining something new and it kind of came from reading Aaron's book actually. And it's been on my mind because she talks a lot about self-care in the book. And then there's just something about the words self-care that makes me crazy. I don't know if it's just been used so many times or it's just, it just sounds so annoying <laughs> it has i think that it is suffering from overuse and misuse because it's 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 a buzzword now and anything that becomes a buzzword yeah it loses value well and, i suppose it's become yeah. like a trillion dollar industry at this point so it's like it always was right yeah and yeah. and people also say like i need more me time also annoying i can't stand when I, and I like, you know if, what I, that means, exactly. I know, if I say that I like hate myself, I just think it's such an annoying term. So I was thinking everything Aaron says in the book about self-care rings true for me. And I appreciate, and I, I think she's onto something and I do a lot of the things that she's talking about, but I'm like, how can I like reimagine this? Can no, I like, get in, that. get on my sure. unicorn and fly away and think about this differently? And so I was thinking a lot about this meme that's been going around the internet lately about people having to wear hard, hard clothes to the office now that we're transitioning back to- Oh, hard clothes. I know, so I was like, I don't wanna wear hard clothes. I wanna wear soft clothes. So then I thought, what if I rebranded self-care as soft time? It's about being soft with myself. Like just, there's a softness to it. It feels warm, it feels soft, it feels comfy, it's inviting. It's not hard. It doesn't have a hardness like a, oh, I have to do this thing. It doesn't feel stressful. It doesn't feel anxiety producing. It just feels like it's soft time, yo. We're gonna get soft. We're gonna eat some bagel bites. We're gonna sit on the couch. We're gonna watch a show. We're gonna take a bath. Maybe we're gonna go for a walk if it feels soft. If it feels hard, we're not doing it. And yeah. that's, that felt like a really good, like, <laughs> I, Ken and I have an almost exactly the same, like we use the phrase, um, so how can I catch you? And the idea is how can I give you a soft landing? Mm. Like, how could it, like, how could I help you transition out of a hard thing into like, oh, into that softness? Because when we're experiencing hard, hard, hard all the time, there are very limited circumstances where I want something thrusting hard at me all the time. It's, uh. It's not always, it's not. Yeah, I mean, yeah. maybe hard soft time has some hard thrusting too, but. Maybe it does, but even so we could do it with soft clothes on and we could combine the best of both worlds. I'm here for that. I'm even thinking about like the bra industry reinventing itself. Seriously. Yeah, I'm see and I'm seeing it a little bit like, oh, there's actually a, a shift. Like, okay, where are the, all the, all the softness that we can accumulate. The, there is there's something to be said for deciding mm -hmm. that we don't have to do a hard thing just because it's a hard thing. Yeah. That has not been my modus operandi at yeah. all. I, I have been a, I have to do the hard things because they're hard things. Mm -hmm. So I love the idea of incorporating soft time. Yeah. I, love, I will totally adopt that. Okay, let's, good. Let's, I want, let's get this out there into the zeitgeist. I think I'm going to talk to Glenn Hashtag about it. Soft time. It's all about hard things. I'm about soft times soft times at Ridgemont High is that what it's called I love it yeah it's like the middle-aged you know erectile dysfunction part of right no no it's not that all right well we're solving the world's problems one annoying cliche at a time exactly exactly I think we've said it all um this was fun thanks for introducing me to Erin and getting her on the show and giving us an opportunity to talk about this once again another home run Yes. So um, let me just mention a little bit more about Erin before we jump into her interview. Erin Davidson, MARCC, is a writer and registered clinical counselor in Vancouver, BC, specializing in sex and relationship therapy. 
She works with clients of all genders, sexual orientations, and relationship dynamics to bring more compassion and joy to their connection with themselves, their sexuality, and their relationships. She's the author of two books, Break Through the Breakup and Thriving in Non-Monogamy. You can read more of her writing and connect with her on Instagram at erin.e.davidson and her website, erinedavidson.com. So without further ado, here is our interview with Erin Davidson. Erin Davidson, welcome to Claim the Stage. Thank you. I'm so excited. We're excited to talk with you too. We, Jolie and I both got a chance to read your book, Break Through the Breakup, which is a great title, by the way. And what we noticed in reading your book was that it was, yes, about how to deal with those feelings that come up after a breakup and what to do next in your next relationship. But what we also noticed was that it was so applicable to change and loss in general. And so in our conversation today, we want to talk about the book and how it applies to breakups. But we also want to talk about how to manage all those feelings of grief and depression and fear that come from an ending. And our whole world is shifting right now from a pandemic life to maybe coming into a new normal or whatever we want to call it. And so we're all experiencing this humongous shift. And I think a lot of what we're going to talk about on today's show will be applicable to anyone, regardless of whether or not they're going through a breakup. So I think this is perfectly timed and we're excited to learn more about your advice and perspective on this subject. But before we jump into that, I would, I'm just always interested because I'm an author, Jolie's an author, What made you want to write this book? Yeah, so what happened was I was approached for the first book that I wrote in the past year, and I kind of jumped on it, and it was a really great opportunity of learning how to write a book, basically, because they gave me the outline, and when I finished that, I was pretty tired, Um, and then I got an email with the opportunity for the second book. And I remember really clearly that my partner was in the room with me at the same time. And when I looked at the email, he thought that I'd gotten really bad news because my face just fell. And I had this energy of like, oh my goodness, because I felt in that moment just how important this topic was to me. And I just knew that I had to say yes, even if it was going to be a really challenging push to write that second book so quickly. But it's just a topic that speaks so strongly to me. It's something that in my own life, a breakup really shaped me. Um, And I also see it very much in the lives of my clients, just how um, how, as hard as it is, but also that it can be like the birthplace of really powerful change in people's lives too. I love that. I said, yes, because you, you just, you started before you were ready. And we just released an episode on starting before you're ready. Like, and that's not that wasn't like starting before you're ready, like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. In fact, it was starting before you're ready because you maybe wanted to take, I don't know, another year. I mean, you, your your first book just came out in the fall. And so this was just turning around another one really quick. And uh, the only other person I know who does that is Angela. <laughs> basis, just cranking out a couple at a time. I think that starting before you're ready, it has a lot to do with this like being pulled like you're you were pulled into the topic because you knew that there was healing potential there were growth opportunities and that you could help more people than you can in your one-to-one environment as a therapist so how did you decide where to start though where to start with starting to write yeah to start such a, a to- like this is such a personal topic in so many ways like bre- getting through a breakup can take a billion forms but you must see themes. Like, did you look to your clinical work to see those themes or did you look toward your personal story? Where did you, where did you draw? Cause your opener is so strong. Also, I had to listen to all of Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill yes. after reading it. So there's that. I, I get the feeling that there's a personal story behind there as well as your professional. Like, yeah, it was definitely a blending of, of those areas. So like professional, personal, and then I also did um, interviews with with people who wanted to share their breakup experiences with me. And so that really shaped how I approached it. And it really like reiterated what I already hoped to kind of tackle with this book. It really emphasized to me how important it was. Like what really stood out to me from the interviews was people would talk about 
oh, like I read these Cosmo articles after I like searched for things after my breakup. And they all just kind of made me feel really terrible because it was things like, these are the things you need to do to like get over your ex and like feel better. And they would do those things and then they would still feel terrible. And it just was like, okay, I really want to approach this in a way that's really normalizing and validating that we can't take something like breakups, which to me is just basically grief and we can't put it on a timeline and we can't say this is a normal feeling. This is not a normal feeling because it's just like a complete overhaul of what your life is in that moment. And so how could we possibly say that there's a normal way to experience that? And so that was really important to me to just like that kind of guided me. It's like, how do I really put that message at the forefront and take off this idea that it is like a prescriptive set of steps to really move through this? I, I totally get it. I felt so clearly how applicable these, this move of like allowing the grief and, and the way you walked through allowing the grief and then digging in. So without prescribing, some set of steps that you should go through. Cause people bring this to me all the time too. Like clients will say like, I, I, I want to move through the stages of grief about this loss, or I want to move through this process. And I'm like, I hear you. And both your body and your soul have, they have their, their stuff to do. And it might not be what your ego wants, but you might have to stay in it for a while. And if we don't resist that and instead treat it as a time when we're just just going to be in the shit. I, like there is some strength to acknowledging that we can yeah. be in that without it being a bad thing. Yeah. And that's all like to the compost, yeah. compost instead. How about that? <laughs> the compost. That's awesome. Aaron, yeah. It's like, Oh, go ahead. Oh no. Feel free to respond to that first. I had an, a question that was unrelated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was just thinking about how so often it is like, how do we fast forward this? How do we move through these feelings? And that's kind of, I think the painful beauty of grief. And I think why I like talking about it as icky and heavy as it can feel is it's like, that there's nothing left to do except feel. You don't have to like do anything. You can't fast forward your feelings. You just have to be with them. And there's kind of this like beautiful, surrender to that and it comes in waves because there's I think it's only natural for us to want to fight that and to want to be able to do something about it and to want to make it go away but helping and being with people in those moments whether it's yourself or a client and being in those moments where we're just going to be mad today or we're just going to cry <laughs> that's all that there is to it we don't actually have to fix anything or change anything I just find really really powerful one of the things that stood out to me in the very beginning of your book was when you said breakups can be a catalyst for growth, which can be hard to see when you're going through it because it feels like anything but. And I was imagining like sitting on my couch and a friend coming over and saying, you know, breakups can be a catalyst for growth and just really wanting to like punch them in the face because it just doesn't feel like. <laughs> so I'm wondering at what point in the grieving process it's appropriate to say that to someone who's who's going you know because it can <laughs> it's almost like it was meant to be you know like nobody wants to hear that or it wasn't oh my gosh exactly and it's really funny I have like I think it's the season for breakups I have like four people in my closer circle in the past couple of weeks that have been going through breakups and it's like the last thing that they need from me right now is to be like, I wrote a book, here you go on breakups. Like that is not what you need right now. What you need is to like be mad. You need to distract yourself in the mixture of feeling your feelings. And this like finding the meaning part is like, that comes later. We can't force that. It doesn't help to hear that from anybody because it's then that's like almost like spiritually or it is spiritually bypassing, like trying to like love and light your feelings without actually feeling them. And we just like, there's truth to it. It gets better with time. Like not always, but there's truth to it. But I just think that that's not always helpful to hear when you're in the thick of things. Yeah. And there, there's a whole other section of your book where you talk about self-care and this concept of, instead of mind numbing activities, you talk about mindful numbing, which I thought was such a cool little play on words and um, a little, little switch, but huge actually, because you're, being more thoughtful about how and when you're mind numbing. And 
I'm wondering if you could talk more about that and how that plays into this process of feeling the feelings and recognizing that there's growth opportunities in there. Yeah, and I think it speaks to like healing isn't all feeling your feelings all the time. Like that's kind of impossible. I think we would have a mental breakdown if we tried to do that. Um, and so there's even, I was reading like a research article in prepping for this book that talks about like, we need to go back and forth between distraction and feeling our feelings. And we, if we did one, if we kind of did all one, all distraction, like that's not going to help us move past things because we do need to process and make sense of things. But um, it's, it's needed because we need to be able to get through the day. We need to be able to go to work sometimes. We need to be able to just like make ourselves food. And so, and I think we process on the back burner too. So even if we're doing something like we're gonna watch two whole seasons of a show or something, I think that we just need that time to give ourselves more, more space. I was thinking that when you, when I read the, the idea of numbing, I was, I, I was caught by it because we talk so much now about wanting to be conscious of our numbing, being aware of it. And I loved the concept of mindful numbing. Like, so being aware that we are using this as a coping strategy makes sense. How do you, how would you recommend that somebody bring awareness to that so that they don't stay stuck in a numbing state? Like how, how do you know when enough is enough or when too much yeah. is too much? Yeah, well, I'd say it's one tool in the tool belt. So again, if that's the only tool that you're pulling on, um, that's where we get into, into trouble with it. I think it's helpful to name it as soon as when it, you can notice that it's happening. Again, it's like all of this is not about being perfect. And so, um, but it's working towards going, okay, I need to just like, eat my favorite foods for the next few days or like even right now I need to just like go to the store and get my bag of chips that I really like and this is just what I need and and this is me taking care of myself and that's okay and compassion with that and so it's just literally like bringing awareness to that like okay this is what I'm doing to take care of myself this is what I need to do and sometimes it doesn't happen in the moment sometimes it happens later and I will like add the caveat that if you're struggling with like an active addiction with with a substance like with alcohol um that I think that this is a strategy that would be very, um, very tricky and potentially dangerous. Yeah. And so it's not something that everybody can do, but I think that we get so caught up in this. We need to, again, like feel our feelings perfectly, but I think that it's an important balance to that, that it, like, that's not the expectation to feel things all the time. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, one other part of the book that, stood out to me was creating a ritual of letting go. And sometimes when you're going through a breakup, you can have that feeling like I want to get back in touch and I want to rekindle what we had and you can romanticize all the great things. And you can feel like if you could just get that back, everything would be great again. And when I was going through a breakup a couple of years ago, I would go for walks at this reservoir and they had a lot of little pebbles right at the entrance to the gate. And I would pick up a handful of pebbles. And then as I was sort of letting things go mentally, like memories of the relationship or feelings that I was having, I would just drop a pebble on the ground. And it felt like this, this great ritual of just like, you know, physically letting something go while emotionally and mentally letting something go too. And I still do that now sometimes. And as I was reading your book, I was reminded of that. And I was wondering if you can share some examples of ways that people can let go of the past and just sort of let go of expectations they may have had or, you know, dreams they had that weren't realized because of a shift that happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's some examples in the book of book of more tangible things like a, that pebble example is so beautiful. It can be really nice to have those actions to really signify and like help you kind of move through that process for me journaling is a big one um like for me just talking about it really helps and so like going to my own therapy um and talking about like because the grief isn't just what you lost in the past but a lot of times and I don't think we talk about this as much as the grief over the idea of like this future that you had with somebody and being able to name that and that's really hard and it's really um it's it brings it brought me a lot of security to be able to go okay and this is the person i'm gonna marry and we're gonna have 
this many kids and we're going to live in this kind of place and this is our house and it's going to be decorated like this and to start to let that go is it's like a very um like untethered feeling of like oh my goodness my future is so open now and so just acknowledging that there's a lot of letting go there too and so for me I liked like writing things down and then maybe ripping out pages in a journal and shredding them or putting them away sometimes it's nice to not fully get rid of it I think sometimes I like putting things in a box that I know I can go back to that box if I want to but right now that that part is closed the picture books are in there the movie stubs I saved like I can go back to that if I want to in a different place but for now we're going to put this away I think it's super important to draw attention to that that imagined future because mm -hmm. I we have collectively there's this strong tendency to separate reality from imagination but there is a perspective from which <laughs> what is in our imagination is is incredibly real great big oh, air quotes right it's so real in some ways it's more real to our psyche it's more real to us because we built it and it couldn't be touched by the objective world and so letting go of that is both challenging because it's not there isn't something you can objectively point to you can't just like these aren't clothes you can just take out of a drawer and say okay take these all out of here i don't want to look at them it's an imagined future and it is real. Like it holds psychological weight. It's that is that has its own gravity. And now not only is the future open, but everything you imagined has to be grieved in its own way. And your friends, your family, your support system may not take that seriously. They may not even know it. Like you may not have even shared those things. It's easier to grieve a loss that other people can see I've seen this in other ways, like grief that other people can see and relate to. And there's something tangible, much easier than the imagined grief. Yeah. And I think that ties in so much to the time that we're in too. Like it's that ambiguous loss, like not just of relationships, but of how we thought the future was going to look. And I think that there's been, I think there's a beautiful, I forget what if it was like in the Harvard something, or like there was that article that was circulating around about like, what you're feeling right now is grief, like at the beginning of the pa pandemic. Yeah. And I think we're, we don't even really know even what we're grieving still at this point, like we're still in it in a lot of ways. And I think that there's going to be a lot of, a lot of layers of like, oh, at this point in my life, I thought I was going to be here or just, I don't even know if we can name them all. And now we have to acknowledge that this is a thing that can happen. And that comes up with breakups too. Like, especially if you've, like, if you're in a, your first serious relationship like you know one that you clarify as serious that first time just like the first job loss I mean my husband lost his job that he'd held for 20 years and it was gutting because he had he had no imagination of being able to lose that right so that wasn't the same kind of grief as if he'd just been like oh yeah I don't know every few years I do a new thing if you're if you're in a phase where you never imagined that you would have to face this grief now you need big tools for that. Yeah. I appreciate how you you reminded us that it's not a linear process that we have to allow ourselves to like just travel it in whatever direction. And that you also brought in meaning making because to me, that's that's the key to move away from all this grief. I have to figure out how to make meaning out of it. So yeah, what does that look like for somebody in action? Yeah, I was I was thinking about this the other day when I was like journaling in the morning and I thought of this metaphor that like heartbreak and maybe even grief is like one of those big purses that you carry around or a backpack that you've had for years and grief or heartbreak is the thing that like dumps it out finally and we can be tempted to just like throw everything back in the bag and like keep moving on or it can be that chance to look at okay I've got this like pen that's been in here that's dried out and it no longer helps me I've got like a granola bar wrapper that is like just taking up space and I've got all these things that have been just like accumulating and given to me and it can really be a time of like looking through these and seeing okay what is serving me in my life and and what is in and bringing more awareness to it and so I feel like that can be a big part of that the opportunity that can come from these really challenging times 
I noticed my shoulders really relaxed when I got to the part of the book where you talked about the breakup team. And (laughs) I love the name of that. (laughs) And I loved the type of people you could recruit for your breakup team. And it made me think, I just want to have a team, just a team that's there for everything that when it gets hard, I can just turn to the team. And can you share what the breakup team is and who, who could be on it? Yeah. I, thank you. I find it's this idea of like, we have different people that serve different roles in our life and we don't have to put pressure just like in romantic relationships for our, the partner we have to be everything to us. We don't have to put that on our sister or our best friend or anything either. We don't have to, if you, if you know your best friend is someone who is maybe not the best listener, like that's okay. Maybe they're the best person who is going to like go on errands with you, or they're very good at like, they're going to cook you a meal when you can't get off the couch and that sort of thing. And so it's like diversifying your support group. And it can even be a time where you start to bring new people on. Um, I found that with some clients where maybe it's been a bit of a more isolating time or the breakup is brought up like a split in some friend groups because maybe you shared part, um, people with your ex and your friend group. And it can even be a time where you're starting to reach out to people that maybe you've connected with online or through like hopefully we're moving in a direction where we can start meeting in person again. So maybe you meet some people in like a meetup group or something. And it's just like adding to your roster. You can have that person that you just go to the yoga class with. You can have the person that will, you can call at four in the morning crying and um, just kind of really knowing that this is a time to pull on those people and, and that's okay. I love that so much. Totally. When you were saying it as the breakup team, I was picturing almost like a like a Marvel movie or something. <laughs> no, me too. That's what I was totally. thinking. Everyone's wearing capes. It's great. Oh yeah. <laughs> Jolie, were you gonna say something? I, I was just gonna say that it, it it reminds me of the fact that we've been talking about needing to be comfortable to be comfortable with ourselves in other episodes recently, we've been talking about needing to be like, like allow ourselves to be ourselves. We're going to have different needs. So maybe there is no one perfect breakup team, but getting to know what you need. This isn't a breakup team. This is your life team. This is, this is mm-hmm. your like, who do you need to have in your corner? Need is maybe not the right word. Maybe what's who what? most advantageous, like feels good to you group of people so that you can go through whatever is going to come down the pike because it's not just a breakup it's it's loss and death and change and transformation and growth and joy and all those things because if my team is all focused on like being there for venting they may not be able to be there for my joy like i could imagine accidentally creating a world that's really sort of ne- like negatively biased yeah. when i'm going through a breakup and so diversifying into people who are like the kind of people who are going to get you out the door again sounds like a really sound piece of advice. I'm going to now invest in, in a, a huge whiteboard to write my life team on. I'm gonna put it on the wall and people can vie for spots. I like it. <laughs> Maybe there'll be physical competitions, who knows? Who knows? Jousting. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and to add to that, I love the whiteboard idea. I found um, like for myself and even in like the early stages of the pandemic, and this isn't just pandemic specific, but Sometimes I can get into a place where I feel really lonely or I feel like, okay, who are my people? And then sometimes I write it down and it's like, oh, these are people I could call for coffee. These are people I could um, I could go and do this thing with. And then it's like, oh, you know what? Like I'm not as alone as I can feel in those moments. And so I think even just the act of having it really tangible can be so helpful because I think it's natural to go to those places, especially after a loss of some kind to feel extra, extra alone. And that also gives you the opportunity to ask people what kind of relationship they want to be in with you. Angela and I have been very clear about like making an explicit kind of friendship where we talk about what do you want to do? How do you like how often we do we want to talk? Just thinking about who's on your team could invite the what does this person want out of our friendship? So we can now have because when you're in that breakup mode and you address this in the book, like it's easy to become that friend who's like always like they're just they've gone down into the pit. And not even necessarily with a, like a clinical depression, just like they're just practicing that, that like they're down. But if you make an explicit agreement with somebody to show up for them 
and not let them stay there and, and let, you know, say, okay, let's, let's come back out too. That's a different altogether, but it takes a real, there's a, some courageousness to ask our friends, not just our lovers to be there for us that way, to be there for us in yeah. clear ways. We don't always yeah. do <laughs> Yeah. And checking about their boundaries and checking about like feedback and like consent also consent about like, is it okay that I talk about, like, I just, I think it's totally okay to vent, but like, is it okay that I just vent right now? Like, do you have capacity for that? I feel like that's been a big question this past year with like everybody dealing with their own shit. And it's like, do you have capacity? Like, can you hold space for me right now? Um, Cause it's okay if we don't sometimes have that space for each other too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one thing I like to do is use a timer. Because if you tell the other person, look, I'm just going to like talk for 10 minutes straight and <laughs> you'll know, you know, it'll be over soon. Cause we'll both see the time. In front of <laughs> and then once it's out, then we can move on. Um, so oh, that, that's great. Yeah. It's always really well. One of the things you talk about towards the end of the book, after you talk about grieving and self-care and support is avoiding the backslide. Mm. And can you talk about what the backslide is? Yeah section I really had a like had a challenging time with at first I was like I don't know I don't know if you should have rules about whether or not to get back in contact or, or backslide or any of that but then the more that I got into it I realized you know like okay there's exceptions where it's unavoidable to get back in contact or um it makes sense but you know sometimes actually I, I came around to the idea that it is helpful to actually have some things in place to avoid contact for a while um and that it is really easy for us to get back into so backsliding is basically getting back into the relationship or kind of falling into old patterns again which is so easy to do because of course there's been so much good in the relationship and so much that you might want to come back to um but getting into that place where you're just repeating old patterns and it's like okay we've been down this road before nothing has changed and so putting things in place to help yourself come back out of that more quickly than, than you might otherwise. I appreciated you drawing the line, the distinction between backsliding and intentional reconciliation. Very yeah. different moves, need different tools. And I'm, I'm guessing that that was hard. I'm guessing that was hard to decide like what, what, which is which, and when is it a good idea? to to reconcile and then what's the necessary ingredient like something has to be different about the, these two things because backsliding and reconcile like even the words like they have very different tones yeah totally and i will add the caveat that like if you're in an abuse if you were trying to leave an abusive relationship or if it was an abusive relationship that's a whole other dynamic that makes this a lot more complicated and there's whole like emotional, biological processes that make it so hard to leave. And so I'll kind of not talk about that as much, but I just want to plant that that can be really murky and hard. Um, but I would say the backslide is when you find yourself back in the relationship and thinking, okay, we're just kind of back where we were. And I'd made the decision before that, or it got ended, not from my decision, but things are the same, nothing has changed. And so we're just going to be ending up, up like right back where we were. And it might take a bit of time to realize that, but when you do realize that, that's sort of your clue. And then I think there can be different kinds of reconciliation because I think that really fantastic relationships can come out of being broken up for a while for a multitude of reasons. Mm -hmm. And so if you find yourself there where you've taken time to work on things, you've um, developed personally, because I'm a big believer that relationships work when people take like ownership of their own growth and healing and also can like identify where things didn't work before and how they're committed to making those changes now. And if you can both kind of talk clearly about those pieces and also what didn't work in the past, I think that a reconciliation of like getting back together can be really, really good. And then I think there's also the kind of reconciliation where we talk about this idea of closure, which I think is a really murky term because I think we can romanticize it of this like really peaceful, clean cut, beautiful thing. And I don't think that that happens very often, but I think that it can be important from a personal level. If you feel like you personally want to tie up some ends in terms of like, you didn't get to say certain things that you wish that you could have said, um, asking questions without 
that like without expecting that you're going to get a perfect answer that's going to make you feel better it's like taking on these conversations of reconciliation or closure has to come from a place of I'm doing this just for me without an expectation of how this other person is going to respond I'm doing this because I need to let this um, be said or let this part go yeah yeah and what about so you talked about like when you're ready to let that go when you're when you're like i i'm here i'm letting this go when you finally get to that spot and you've you've owned that this is we're not we're not going back i'm moving forward you talked about needing to make yourself accountable to yourself like to make a plan and then like be able to actually act that out because backsliding is a set of behaviors as much as anything else right like it's it's actions it's not just about a feeling but like the stuff you do so what do you recommend what are the like key things that people need to do to not to avoid backsliding during a moment of discomfort or a moment where their self-worth maybe slips or something yeah yeah in the book i talk about like in your breakup team it might be helpful to have somebody who can help you stay accountable with that. So I can almost guarantee you're going to have moments where you want to get back in contact with the person or see them again. And if you can make some kind of pact with a friend and be like, can you be there for me when I have this moment? Can I text you? Or can we have a quick phone call? Almost like a, like a safety plan. Like, can I, can you be my first step? And then if I still want to get in contact with them, then I will. But within that, agreement with your friend, you could set up a list of things that you're going to try first before getting back in contact with your ex. So it could be like, okay, I'm going to do my self-care stuff that I've listed out. So I'm going to go on a, my walk. I'm going to um, journal. I'm going to try writing an email to my ex that's not actually addressed to them, but I'm going to send it to myself or can my friend read it? And so like all these things that like just giving yourself some space to, um, add that pause between the like, I want to contact them that like stimulus of like, oh, and your action, because you can create some space there. Love that. I really appreciate it. I The last thing I wanted to ask about, because I think it's so important is you mentioned how important it is that we not tie our self-worth to our relationship yeah. status. And I was thinking like relationship status or anything, our employment status, or yeah. like we could write this across domains. <laughs> So how do we avoid it? Because I mean, you can't go to a supermarket checkout lane and not see relationship, or you can't even look at my Instagram and not see a relationship touted as like a good thing. And so yeah. what do we do to protect ourselves from falling into it? Is, that is a trap. I know it's a trap, but what do we do? Oh, I love that you asked this question. This is my, I think my favorite part of the book and like my favorite piece to talk about because just personally, it has been something that was just a really big part of my life of trying to like change that from being in a relationship with my high school boyfriend for like the big part of my 20s and just like having that to like that going away and then having to learn how to date for the first time as an adult um, was just such a roller coaster of self-esteem and self-worth. And like, it felt like a job interview every time. And it felt like if this person gives me attention or likes me, then I feel good about myself. And if I get um, ghosted or if they don't want to continue seeing me, then I just felt like this plummet and it was so exhausting. And I think that that speaks to when we have external experiences of self-worth versus internal. And like how you were saying, this can come from our job. This can come from our performance at school. It can come from owning certain things where we can really build our self-worth and it can feel so good when we like quote unquote succeed in those areas and get positive feedback or whatnot. But the downside is we're just like, we fall, we're so vulnerable to that self-esteem roller coaster of when those things don't last forever or when the high of getting that compliment wears off, like we're down without that like sustenance to keep ourselves feeling like we have value. And so the big change that I find that helps with myself and with people that I work with is shifting from like identifying those places that we get external self-worth, so relationship status or whatever that is to self-compassion. And so what that looks like is really like, like there's 
three pieces to it. I know that this is Kristen Neff's work and she talks about it so beautifully, but with self-compassion, it is being mindful. So noticing when we're basing our self-worth externally or noticing when we criticize ourselves, um, noticing when we compare ourselves to others and go like, oh, my friends are all in relationships. And so who am I to hang out with them or I'm so much worse off than they are or there's something wrong with me. So noticing those things. And then the second piece is common humanity. So it's this like belief that as humans, we all have value inherently and that there's nothing that changes that. So that's where we check in about, oh, am I post positioning myself favorably because I have certain things or am I positioning myself unfavorably? And it's literally coming back to like a centered position. And I've, I've come to see how that's almost like a really personal belief that not everybody holds. And I often get a lot of pushback on that. And that's okay. I think it's a personal belief, but I know that it's just something that when I choose to believe that, or when I see other people choose to believe it, I just really see, I don't know, I'm biased, but I think that the world would be such a better place if we could all come to this, like, we are all inherently worthy, even when we make mistakes, even when we, when we screw up. And so I, that is just like, so important, I think. I think you're talking about like, that's the bigger work. We could talk about breakups or we could talk about your, like what you wrote about in your previous book, like relationship structures. We could talk about a million things, but if we, if all of us from whatever angle we're working are working on a shared, like common respect for humanity, everything gets better. So I think that's a great place to wrap up because wow, like yum. So since we're wrapping up, where can people learn more? Your book is coming out soon or it just, it just popped out, right? Yes. Yeah. So when this episode comes out, it'll have just been released, which is super exciting. Um, and so you, if you're in the U.S., you can find the book wherever books are sold. Um, Amazon, online, if you're in different parts of the world, if you're in Canada like me, um, if you are open to writing review, it's a really big help as a new author so that more people see my book. Um, and you can also follow me on, on Instagram where I like talk about this more, share bits and pieces. And, um, I'm sure my Instagram is in the, the show notes or whatnot. Show notes. Yep. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you so much, Erin. This was fabulous. Yeah. Thank you so yeah. much for coming to talk about this. I think it's a subject so everyone fun. can relate to. <laughs> Absolutely. Jolie and I hope you love listening as much as we love making this show. If so, tell us by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or share it with a friend. Claim the Stage is a production of Speaker Sisterhood and is produced in the Glitter Closet in Holyoke, Massachusetts. Music is composed by Kelly Vogel of Sound Passage. All right, that does it for us this week. Until next time, stop waiting, start creating. Bye for now.